I'm Malia White, real-life bosun and cast member on Bravo's Below Deck Med. Working in my industry can be very interesting. These are my stories. As you'll find out, my world is a total ship show. Welcome back to Total Ship Show. I'm Malia White. I'm Amanda Logan. And today we are going to be covering the Costa Concordia, which is a big uh, maritime incident that I'm sure everyone has heard about. But um, it was a little while ago, so we are going to bring it up. And we've got Rose Metcalf, who is a survivor of the Costa Concordia, and we're going to pick her brain um, on what it was like. Yeah, what it was like and her recovery. And um, but we'll give a little bit of a a brief rundown of what the story was just to remind everybody. Yeah, so just to catch everyone up um, and to remind you, so the Costa Concordia was one of the largest ships built in Italy at the time. It was a $450 million ship. Uh, its length overall was 290 meters or 952 feet, and it was a cruise ship. So on the night of January 13th, 2012 at 9 p.m., under command of Captain Francesco Chitino, the ship hit a rock. Um, it, it hit a rock just off um, a little island off the coast of Italy. Uh, the impact then tore a 160-foot gash on the port side of the hole, which then flooded parts of the engine room, cutting power from the main engine. engines. <laughs> um, as the water flooded into the ship, it started to list, and she drifted back towards the shore, eventually grounding on her starboard side. So basically the ship came to an uneasy resting spot on a rocky underwater ledge. Um, half of the ship was out of water, as you saw in many photos. Um, and it was, danger, it was in danger of sinking completely into about 230 feet of water. So while the ship was resting on this rock and in danger of sinking, um, evacuation efforts were taking place. And this was all power had been lost on the ship and it was at night while the evacuation efforts were being made, and it took over six hours. Um, there were 3,206 passengers on board of that, uh, or sorry, and there were 1,023 crew members. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, so this is a massive cruise ship that hit a rock. It was uh, on the verge of possibly sinking. They were trying to evacuate everyone on board. Uh, the captain is infamous for... Um, being one of the first to abandon ship during the evacuation efforts rather than staying behind to help the crew, which we'll probably get into. Um, and yeah, overall, 32 people ended up losing their lives in this incident. So it was a huge maritime incident. Um, yeah. yeah. And today we have Rose, who is a survivor of the incident and who we'd love to hear from. So hi, Rose. <laughs> hi, Malia. Hi, Ma Amanda. Thank you so much for presencing this important topic. Yeah, I hope we got everything right to your knowledge. I mean, we just wanted to do a brief, you know, rundown of to let everyone know kind of what we're talking about today. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's interesting to hear the stats because, of course, the data versus the actual experience are two very different things. Like yeah. you were saying, she was in danger of sinking, right? But whilst we were on it, we were sinking. We, we had yeah. no idea we'd managed to c come to a sand shelf. Um, so for us, it was, you know, a very different experience versus thankfully the, the loss of life was a lot less than it potentially could have been, um, oh, not yeah. to mitigate, obviously, the, the devastation of losing those 32. Yeah, I mean, I, you're, you're absolutely right. Like at the time, you had no way of knowing that you weren't sinking and that, you know, that must have been terrifying. Yeah, like I, I would be so curious just what the communication was like when the initial 
Well, I think first to back up. So Rose, you were a dancer on the ship, correct? Yes, that's right. Okay. And so what for, so what were your muster duties like? Yeah, absolutely. So we were trained. It was the first thing that we did when we came on board was the grueling training, which I know you're very familiar with. Um, And we regularly were doing trainings. And my, my, um, as an English speaker, we were given responsibility that I would say would be far beyond what, uh, you know, perhaps you would think of a dancer doing, but because of it was such an international ship as a cruise ship. So English was the common language, even though we were in Italy. And so my muster duty was to take the roll call. And for listeners aren't familiar with that terminology, it's the register for a number of crew members that were dedicated to one specific life raft. And and also for listeners, can you guys describe what a muster duty is? Yeah, so a muster duty is your role in an emergency situation. Okay. So what you would be doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So at the time of this emergency, Rose would be, you know, roll roll calling all the... And everyone everyone who's working on the boat has some level of of muster duties... On my boat, yes. I'm not sure about on this boat. It's in, I mean, it's interesting that as a dancer, you had these muster duties. So, exactly. I was uh, I was a performer on the ship, so I I was an entertainer. I worked with an incredible entertainment crew, and uh, I was on it four months into a six month contract. I thought that was going to be my life. I loved it, Malia. I'm sure you can talk <laughs> into that. It was yeah. a dream life. So, um, was this your first boat? This was my first cruise ship. Yes, first cruise ship. Okay. Very nice. Yeah, I've always loved the ocean. She is, uh, she yeah. is my master. I, I'm always <laughs> called to her in one way or another. Um, but she, she, you know, she is ferocious and, and deadly, of course, as well. And so we must have, I don't know how you feel about this, but we must have a reverence for the seas and the oceans. Oh, definitely. I agree. Yeah, she's, beauty, like the, she's beautiful, but also terrifying. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, so at the time of an incident, you were dancing? I was, uh, I was doing, so we had several duties on board. I was supposed to be on a night off and my cabin mate was not feeling well. So I was taking over her duties that night. So I was on a break in between taking photographs in my full Samba Splendor, my (laughs) glitzy costume with passengers. So I was in passenger area on deck five at the back of the ship, enjoying a cappuccino um, in the bar where my romantic interest and uh, as you know cr- uh, ship life <laughs> yeah, right. I was, uh, enjoying a cappuccino between shifts ah okay that's interesting and I mean obviously like our perspectives of being on board the ship are a lot different so like at this time you would have there's the crew had no idea that something was coming or was there a sense on board because you were were people like looking out and seeing how close you were to land or it's funny that you said that, Malia, because exactly one week before we 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 crossed the same uh, exact point, uh, just off the coast of Isola del Giglio, which is this small island that is in the Mediterranean Sea, and a week before, I thought to myself, I was out, um, out on the the open deck and I was watching the sunset and the dolphins, yeah. and as we were sailing away from Civitavecchia, which is the port of Rome. And I, we got so close to land, I actually picked up the emergency phone, held it in my hand. I looked up to the bridge and, and I was going to call them to say, 
we're so close, aren't we too close? But growing up in a very patriarchal system, I looked up, I could see the officers, I could see that they were paying attention. And so I shut down my my kind of instinct that we were too close. Right. So it was certainly a common practice to do what's called a sail by um, for a, a former captain of this ship. Wow. wow. So could you then feel the impact when the ship came into contact so, with the rock? Yeah, that's such a great question because everybody had such a different experience. So my cabin on the third deck, it's right at water level, was at the front of the ship. So all of my my fellow entertainment crew that were off that night, we didn't have a show. They were all watching films in their, in their cabins or movies in their cabins. And I was at the back of the ship. So I was where we hit. So I had a very direct experience. I saw the rock. I felt the, you know, you know what felt like an earthquake i saw all of the glasses slide off all of the counters and smash uh-huh. there was um you know there was a you know i was very aware that we were sinking because of my knowledge that if three compartments were um torn open that we would we would sink but my you know my fellow entertainment crew that were at the front really just felt a big rock which we were very uh, used to or um you know it's kind of like there would be several nights during storms where we would feel like we were in a, in a washing machine as yeah. we were on the ocean. And for them, it just felt like a big rock with, that they could attribute to a wave, which was very common. Mm-hmm. Wow. So and then uh, so I, well, from the reports, it sounds like the abandoned ship called wasn't made immediately. There was, <laughs> there, I mean, this is an entire um, entire story, but to kind of fast forward, there was one point where I had grabbed my life jacket. I was going to my master station, even though I, we hadn't received any instruction to do so. And my superior, the cruise director, actually ordered me to go put my cocktail dress back on and go back into the lounge what? to entertain the passengers. Uh, at which point I turned around and looked at her and I said, I quit. And I, I then proceeded to take wow. the emergency action that I was uh, trained to do, albeit that that, you know, was fall- fallible in itself. Um, so my, yeah, my, uh, because I'd seen the, the rock, because I knew that how long we were scraping against it, I was certain that we were sinking and I was taking that appropriate action. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was what I call a cover-up. There was uh, information that was being uh, not told to people that I attribute to the, the loss of life. Yeah. That, I mean, in the reports that have come out, since, I mean, the MAIB report is hundreds of pages long. But in all the reports, that's, you know, what it alludes to, that the information was just like, mm-hmm. they were trying to keep this under, like, you know, wraps. Trying the, to keep people calm and not focused on, like, the reality of yeah. the danger that's really in front of them. It's like more, okay, well, the passengers, you know, they still need to feel safe, so put your smile on and, and act fine. And that's the, really the problem, and that's why I'm so passionate and such an activist for this is because, you know, as a psychologist, you, there is this myth that if you keep, you know, you want to, um, you know, n- not give people the full picture because you want to avoid panic. But psychologically, people actually, when people are given accurate data, 
people actually do respond well. So that yeah. is a complete myth and a fallacy that you shouldn't tell people what's truly going on and that you should moderate the information to elicit a certain human response. But we now know that that is not true and that in fact you do need to tell people what's going on because what we were being told on the ship was put your life jacket, go back to your cabin and put your life jackets on and await further instruction. They found, and I'm sorry to be graphic, but they found bodies in cabins that were following those misdirections. That's terrible. Yeah, I agree with you. Like give people, tell people what's going on. You don't have to give them every detail, but let them know the severity, like let them know what's going on so that they can best prepare themselves. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. I, you know, yeah, and just that alone, like finding bodies in a cabin, like that lets you know that 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 information hiding is not working. Like, yeah, and that had people, to be probably the worst directive that you could give. Yeah, to go, a back to to go back cabin. to your cabin. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, change is is made through incidents such as these and, and investigations into incidents such as these. And I, you know, Malia, I know you work on yachts, luxury yachts. I had the privilege of being invited to give a safety talk to, uh, at the time, it was the biggest, most, uh, the biggest uh, yacht that was being built out of Portsmouth in England. And the captain invited me to give a safety talk to the crew. And he invited me to walk around inside the yacht and give my perspective as they were building it on would this work? Like, what do we need in the in the case of, uh, you know, a shipwreck? Because the the safety directives we were given was you get to your muster station. Yeah. Then you are then uh, somebody comes and is your superior and takes over and takes the that number of passengers or crew to either their lifeboat or life raft. Now, that's great in theory, but when a ship is swaying on its side and you can't stand upright and the walls become floors and yeah. corridors become impassable because they've become like elevator or lift shafts, then that no longer works. Yeah, and so, it, like you're not going to be able to launch life rafts and get, yeah, you can barely stand up straight. Wow. And that's exactly what happened. So as they were building this, they actually put in extra railings and banisters from my perspective of actually surviving a shipwreck, which, by the way, is a miracle that I did, that, you know, I was like, well, if it was on this side, if it was this way, if this had happened, and I was able to actually go through and give my perspective of actually living through of how to build ships to be safer. Because like we said, our sea is our mistress, like she is ferocious and she is to be revered. And we can also get to enjoy her and not, you know, live our lives in fear as well. So I, I very much believe that we can take steps and measures through tragedies such as these to improve maritime safety because yeah. the preservation of life is the priority. Of course. And I know, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but now this, you know, the Costa Concordia incident is used in basically every classroom I've been in. It's always used as an example, you know, whether it's the bridge team or the safety, how the evacuation process went. But, you know, we've for my captain's licensings, we've had to study, you know, the communication between the bridge officers and the captain because it just completely fell apart, basically. Yeah. Well, good. I'm very happy yeah. to hear that, Malia. Yeah, we're yeah. So just well, if it can bring you any piece of you know mind, yeah, we use it a lot in the classroom. We pick apart everything that was said in the bridge, what you know, the orders that the captain had made, and basically that whole rest, the, the whole night of evacuation. Wow. So yeah. Rose, that um, the night of the evacuation, you know, how did you? What was going on in your mind when you were performing your muster duties and 
and really acting under pressure with a cruise ship filled with, yeah. you know, other. How did you get out? How did you manage yeah. to escape? Thank you. It's so interesting. And I, and, you know, as a psychologist, I find this fascinating and I'm very grateful and thankful to what, you know, how my, my nervous response was able to go into the fight um, response when I saw very much like people that were in a freeze response, they looked like absolute zombies, their prefrontal cortex, like their mind was just not there. We had people in flight mode, like I literally grabbed onto the ankles of two people that were about to jump overboard and they would have hit the water like concrete and, you know, that would have been uh, the end of their life. So I saw people in flight um, and I'm very grateful that I went into fight, uh, a fight response. And I was supposed to have a superior officer, an engineer from the, uh, you know, from the engine room, um, alleviate me to then take over my master. Now, because the ship was on her side, because people couldn't even get to their correct muster stations. And like you said, like lifeboats weren't able to deploy. Like we did several tests, but when you do that in calm waters, in port, like that's a, you know, a very yeah. serene experience. But when you're actually at sea in the winter at night with a ship on her side with, a, you know, communication breakdown, as you've described, you know, the, those procedures are null and void. And so it, it then became, okay, a survival response of kind of guerrilla tactics. Like, how are we going to um, defy the defy odds to, to survive this? And we didn't know that we had landed on a, a sand shelf. So we were fully prepared. And we've all seen Titanic, of course. We were fully prepared for the end. And there was, uh, there was um, uh, you know, I ended up being in charge of about 400 crew members. I was supposed to be in charge of about 30, but because those other people weren't able to get there for their muster stations and because people were getting to wherever they could, I ended up with about 400 people. And when my superior officer who was supposed to relieve me came, he was in the freeze response. He was uh, just not able to cognitively function he was the last one out of the engine room he had stayed in there he was drenched to the neck in water he was white as a ghost and he had stayed behind to rebalance the ballasts to use as a pivot point so that we would go back to the island he's an absolute hero i wow. i attribute him with saving almost four thousand lives wow. Um, so when he wasn't able to perform his duties, that's when I kind of stepped up and I was like, okay, how, how am I going to get these 400 crew members to a point where they can at least get to the water to maybe even swim? Because I know you see the pictures and you're like, oh, it's right there. Just step off the ship. The island's right there. Oh, but yeah. when you're on the ship, it's a totally different thing. And I mean, night. I'm a strong swimmer. And I did not think that I would make it to those like twinkly lights off in the distance. I mean, and the water was freezing, but thankfully I never got to it. And that's another story. So what I ended up doing was I, I, I kind of uh, stepped into a leadership role, I suppose, just out of necessity. And we, I ended up coming up with this plan with some colleagues of mine to essentially like throw people across this corridor back into the ship to the the railing and uh, directing them to make a like a monkey chain to create a human ladder and that way we were able to as she was listing more and more severely we were able to get these 400 crew members back across and to the level where the lifeboats were and many many of them ended up swimming because like i said the lifeboats weren't functioning 
Um, and unfortunately, I got myself um, stranded and left with four other uh, crew members. Um, so there was there was a point where I was stood there looking out into, you know, I can see it in my mind now, um, this black abyss. And, you know, I could hear the the groans and the the creaking of the ship, the metal contorting. Uh, I could, you know, I could feel us shifting. I could feel us going under. And there was no way for me to be found. You know, the ship was on, she was on her side. So, you know, when helicopters eventually did come, and that's a whole other story, but when helicopters did eventually come, they weren't able to locate us. Um, we were we were just completely isolated. There was no way that we could even, I, at one point, tied a, um, a fire hose to a railing. You can actually see it in the pictures. I tied it to see if it would be long enough to act as a rope to get down to water level, but it would not. And the ship was directly, like the iron of the ship was directly underneath. So if we'd have attempted to to get down there, we would have shattered every bone in our body, you know. So there was this real moment of facing my death, of Jeez. realizing that this was the end of my life at 23 years old. Uh, it's 10 years ago now as we're recording it recording this and there was this actual deep moment of serenity as I was certain that this was the end of my life and and you also you know during all of that and you were in fight mode but you were also putting all of those other people's lives ahead of yours like you were doing everything that you could to save as many other people as you could and really like thinking in the moment but you weren't you weren't in this fight mode in the sense of I'm the one who needs to survive. You were in a fight mode in the like sense of I want I yeah. want to help all of these other people and what can I do? That's pretty mm. amazing. Thank you. I feel like that is just the core of humanity. Like, what are we here for if not to be of service? Mm. I mean, in the work that I do now with women's empowerment, like I am a vessel for to be of service in this world. My life isn't about me. My life is about something grateful. And if, if I, a greater and like if I can... It makes me grateful if I can contribute and be of service and lift other people's people up. And um, yeah, that that is what is fulfilling to me. So to me, that was natural, um, just a natural response. Wow, but in very different response that the captain had. So to have, you know, I think which is to see that the other crew. So then eventually, how did you make it off the boat? Thank you for asking. So one of the people that I got stranded with, one of the Indonesian crew members, happened to have, I asked if anyone had a phone, and he happened to have uh, like one of those pay-as-you-go little flip phones with 10 cents of credit and a red battery, and we had no phone signal. So I ended up managing to Facebook message, of all things, my dad in the UK that happened to still be awake. He called the Italian Coast Guard. The Italian Coast Guard then sent out a boat with uh, uh, a spotlight. Uh, also communicated, that's when after that helicopter started coming overboard. And, you know, I heard a helicopter. I thought, oh my goodness, this is it. I'm, you know, maybe I'm saved. Um, and then it flew away and it was another hour. And that's when I realized they couldn't see us. So we climbed, the five of us, we climbed up another deck. um, And I remember like my legs swinging and my fingertips gripping onto the window ledge as we tried, as we got up to to, uh, another deck higher. And at that point, the Coast Guard was able to, 
uh, put a spotlight onto the location of the five of us on the front of the ship and then did this thing of like signaling us and then looking up and then down to us and then looking up and eventually the helicopter got the sign of like okay there's people here and they sent down a very brave man who only spoke Italian and I'd been learning Italian so we were able to communicate and he said you need to push off with all of your strength and as we are winched up into the helicopter we're going to hope that we swing away from the ship we get pulled up and we're not going to hit the ship as we come back down so that is um oh my god and then I and then I got into the helicopter and she tipped onto her side and I nearly fell out (laughs) oh my gosh so in a and at this point all of most of those other people, so those other 400 people that you had managed to help them move, they had they were in life rafts off of the boat, or where were all of those other people when the five of you were yeah. trying so to get they, the helicopter? Many attention? people had already swam. Most people swam okay. to the island. Some okay. local fishermen. I mean, if you think of like D-Day, right? If you think of Dunkirk, when all those fisher fishermen, the locals, like went out in their little fishing boats and picked up all of these soldiers. It really was that kind of camaraderie where they picked up, you know, the locals of the Isola del Giglio in the middle of the night were all, you know, uh, got to their boats. Uh, The lifeboats that were operational were going back and forth trying to ferry people off the ship. Many people swam away. Unfortunately, some people did get sucked underneath the the ship um, because of that suction as we were sinking. So most people got to Isola del Giglio, um, you know, one way or another. For me, I was on there for six hours I was uh, one of the very last people to be rescued and I was flown to uh, a military base an air base in Tuscany where I then continued working with the captain of the air base to identify where I'd heard people banging in the ship so that they could send rescuers to those locations wow oh my gosh and and I know that we're we're getting close to time with you Rose but I just want to hear also about your your recovery journey and how you like mentally have like, yes, you physically survived, but how did you mentally survive an experience? Have you been to sea since? Yeah. Oh, thank you. I did go on uh, one cruise ship to the Bahamas, but the only reason I went on that is because I could see land at both sides. But um, just knowing what I know, um, you know, my optimism bias, it's, you know, that's phenomenon where we just believe that it's not going to happen to us uh, has certainly gone. So I I love the ocean, but I now surf and, um, you know, I'm, uh, but no, cruise, cruise, life is not for me just knowing what I know um, and there have been significant improvements uh, but certainly not to the level that I would feel safe just through my lived experience so um, my healing journey I think is is the most profound thing and and it's inherently human to make meaning out of our traumatic experiences in our life that is the place of empowerment and so what I what the shipwreck did for me was actually redirected me on and course corrected me I'll use that terminology (laughs) course corrected me onto my life's purpose and it was through my healing journey that I was able to step into my purpose which is to empower other women to live their lives to the fullest because what I realized in that moment of facing my death is the value of living each day to the fullest. People say to me all the time, Rose, how do you have so much energy? How are you so happy all the time? Well, it's because I value my life because I nearly had it taken from me. 
And so that is what I empower women with now. And, you know, I worked with psychologists and I realized that that was only 5% of my healing journey, but it was in through embodiment practices and accessing the feminine wisdom and the body wisdom. 80% of what's going on is within our body. And that is the work that I lead to heal people. They don't have to have survived a shipwreck, but heal people through the traumas that they've experienced in their life into being fully empowered in living their life on purpose and to the fullest. Wow, that's a great message. Yeah, yeah. I think that is a great message. And and so you said that you're working for um, the psychologist and what, so what are you doing today? Oh, thank you. So I, uh, I empower women to live their lives to the fullest. So I have my own business. Um, you can go to rosemetcalf.com uh, to see what I do. And I lead transformational programs, either group or privately, to empower women to live their lives to the fullest. Wow, amazing. And do you, are you in contact with anyone that you knew from the ship? Yes, I am. Okay. There was certainly a time where we all went on our own healing journeys. Um, and those have been on very different timelines. Mine has been on a very accelerated timeline because this really is my purpose is to learn the healing modalities that allow us to be liberated from our conditioning and our trauma of our of our younger lives. And so, uh, yeah, I'm definitely in touch with uh, some friends. We just had a 10 year anniversary meeting um, with fellow survivors where we all shared our own perspectives of what happened and where, where our lives are now, because these incidents uh, do shape your yeah. your future and hopefully that's in an empowered way wow and um i know sorry last question but so captain shatino got 16 years in prison and i was just wondering from your perspective how do you and fellow crew feel about the aftermath of everything like legally that happened I'm very disinterested in Captain Scatino. He, my experience of him on board was that he was a very good captain. Okay. Um, he actually instituted an alcohol ban at one point with, for the crew members and oh. said, you know, once you're, once you're really taking your duties, uh, your duties with great responsibility, then you'll be allowed to, you know, have out, enjoy alcohol again in crew bar. Um, so my experience of him was that he was a very good, um, a good captain. You know, with regards to him, um, you know, having a flight response, he is a human being, although, of course, we need our captains to be trained to respond to an emergency situation in a, a, a healthful way, in a way that's going to be proactive. We want our leaders in the world to lead us to safety, right? So for me personally, I see that he had a very human response. And I think there's uh, a call there to uh, train our leadership in how to respond to these situations. But really, for me, I, I feel that the true criminals are Carnival Cruise Line, um, that, you know, that push the, the 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 legal case out of the US back into Italy and I really feel like they made Captain Francesco Scatino the scapegoat although he is culpable I'm not saying he's not culpable for his re- reaction um, but I think it's a much bigger uh, a bigger uh, perspective on everything that contributed to the loss of life yeah I mean the captain's just one person and I, although that person, you know, in the time of an emergency does need to be, you know, kind of the voice of reason. You're right, he's only human. And training is a big problem in the industry at the moment. So, 
Well, I love hearing all of the training that you're doing, Malia, and leading the way for feminine empowerment on the yeah. scene. <laughs> More female captains. Ooh. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Rose. This has been, I like, I, you know, like I said, we study this um, case a lot in our captain's courses, and yeah, it continues to be brought up. So it's amazing for me to get the chance to speak with you and hear, you know, your perspective on everything. I find that very fascinating. Rose, My thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm gonna go cry now and I'm like starstruck <laughs> by by your courage and your yeah. strength and what you've turned this into I mean really truly you're uh, you're just an incredible and human. to turn it around and to be like become the woman you are now like this is you're, you know you're killing it so keep Aww. empowering other women and yeah this has been thank amazing. you so much a Huda Media Production